now as the time's about to turn 7.43. The question remains amid steps by Seoul and Pyongyang, such as removing guard posts and firearms within the joint security area and working to reconnect railways. Are we moving too fast? Our next guest wrote the headline, US-South Korea falling for Kim Jong-un's tricks. Um, And, well, we're going to hear more um, from Bruce Klingner, former CIA Deputy Division Chief for Korea and current Senior Fellow at the Conservative Heritage Foundation in a moment. But we might also point out that just a few hours ago in Washington, D.C., South Korea and the U.S. signed a strategic guideline called Alliance Guiding Principles on how their joint defense mechanism will operate even after the planned transfer of OPCON or wartime operational control from the U.S. to South Korea. So there are some safeguards in place. Um, Bruce Klingner, thank you very much for joining us on the line on your current visit to Seoul. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for having me again. But if we can begin with what's been unraveling with the U.S., and we've seen our defense chiefs talking about these alliance guiding principles. And this was after what seemed a fairly successful visit by Stephen Began earlier this week. Right. Well, the, the new uh, affirmation of the procedures for operational command uh, you know, is part of the process that's been going on for quite some time. Originally, it was a, a timeline based, but now it's was called condition-based. It's when both sides feel that South Korea has the capabilities uh, sufficient to have, uh, you know, the OPCON transferred, then that'll happen. You know, what I think was sort of most uh, notable was that there was the affirmation that even after operational command that the U.S. would continue to station troops in South Korea and that uh, the Combined Forces Command and United Nations Command would, would stay. That That really was the plan anyway, but I think by having it really you know publicly declared it was a way of trying to calm some nerves about uh you know that operational command would lead the US to say well if we're not you know in the first chair violin position and uh combined forces command why don't we just pull out uh but it may be a way of trying to reassure people that after a peace declaration that uh, the US troops would also stay behind when you recently spoke with reporters, you were quoted as saying Washington sent a number of very strong messages to the Moon administration to slow down. Can you elaborate on that point, please? Right. Well, it, it's been private. Uh, and as, as U.S. officials were describing it, is that, you know, publicly it was keeping a, a happy face and a smile and uh, just, you know, public affirmations. But privately, there were messages going uh, from Washington to Seoul that they thought it was uh, that President Moon was moving too quickly, uh, that he was making a lot of promises that uh, uh, were not being matched by commensurate progress by North Korea on actual denuclearization. I think what we've seen lately, though, is, is this disagreement becoming more public. We've had the reports of uh, Secretary Pompeo's, uh, you know, strong or perhaps even angry phone call with Foreign Minister Kong. Uh, and then we've also seen a number of kind of anonymous U.S. officials quoted as, as saying things like that. And the U.S. then also felt it necessary to take kind of the unusual step of directly contacting uh, South Korean banks, reminding them to affirm uh, and uphold not only U.N. sanctions but U.S. law, uh, and also contacting South Korean businesses to find out what their plans were with North Korea and also to remind them of existing sanction law. It was the Korea Herald that went with the headline, uh, quoting you, saying that um, we're in danger of falling for Kim Jong-un's tricks, or indeed that we're already falling for his tricks. Can you also elaborate on that suggestion? 
Right. Well, what we've had is is President Trump and Secretary Pompeo and President Moon have all claimed things that North Korea agreed to, though we haven't seen North Korea itself declare it publicly, certainly not uh, put it on paper. And in fact, in a number of issues, you know, they very clearly and unequivocally rejected several times what uh, the U.S. and South Korea have said. So, you know, we have the closure of the nuclear site and the the missile site, and we may have inspectors going that after the, the it was done. Um, but really, it's North Korea kind of driving the boat here. You know, of course, uh, under 11 UN resolutions, they are not only required not to test, they are required to abandon their nuclear missile and biological chemical warfare programs uh, in a c- comprehensive, verifiable, irreversible manner. So, you know, it should be along what is required as opposed to what kind of tidbits North Korea doles out. I mean, is the U.S. actually at risk of falling for any tricks, or is it more South Korea, do you you think? Because both of them have been lumped together, but it seems like, um, despite some gung-ho comments occasionally from President Trump, that, um, that Washington is rather cautious. Right, and, you know, in a way there's sort of a, a split between President Trump's policy and the Trump administration's policy. Uh, I think the officials are much more skeptical, they're more wary. They're hoping that the next U.S.-North Korea summit doesn't take place quickly. They want to get some real groundwork done. Uh, more along the lines of the, the very uh, detailed and comprehensive arms control agreements we had with the Soviet Union, as opposed to all the previous agreements with North Korea, which are very vague and poorly written and don't have sufficient verification, and there's a lot of ambiguity. So, you know, I think President Trump is eager to have a summit, and the concern is that he'll agree to additional concessions, as he did in Singapore. So, yeah, I think you also have to think in terms of the, the split between sort of the bureaucracy and senior officials and the president himself. One one thing that may have also raised concerns, President Trump, uh, President Moon's recent trip to Europe, when he was suggesting that there should be sanctions relief, and honestly, that surprised me a little bit because before that we'd heard so much uh, of how Seoul and Washington were in lockstep, and then suddenly they weren't in lockstep. At least that that's I think how the optics were playing out on that Europe trip Uh, and maybe we've seen a bit of backtracking from uh, the South Korean administration since then were you particularly concerned or do you sense that people in Washington were concerned by what President Moon and Foreign Minister Kang Kyung-hwa have had to say in recent weeks Uh, yeah I think Washington has been increasingly concerned for for some time over uh, President uh, Moon's policies you know and when he went to Europe uh, he was rebuffed by France and the United Kingdom he also called on the World Bank to you know, uh, offer membership to North Korea, and uh, Paris and London, you know, said, no, we're not going to reduce sanctions until there's, you know, sufficient progress. And the World Bank said, sure, North Korea can come in once they follow the rules. We're not going to make exemptions. Uh, And what we've seen with uh, Foreign Minister Kong and, and President Moon is there sort of these, you know, repetitive calls for, well, can't you just exempt us from North Korea, or from U.S. law? Can't you just exempt us from U.N. resolutions? Because we're doing it for a good cause. It's for, you know, improving relations. So can't the law just not really apply to us? On the other hand, I mean, we, we can perhaps say all sorts of things about President Moon. Some people might suggest he's, he's leaning too far in North Korea direction right now, but we can't 
I don't think, um, validly say that he's a fool. Uh, he, he has a plan here, and his plan is clearly that, uh, and, and this is an oversimplification, that uh, if you can talk to North Korea, if you can give them a, a little bit of sweetness, then you can make more progress, i.e. you catch more bees with honey kind of approach. Um, do you not see some validity in that? Well, it, it's certainly a, a theory, and we saw it in the 10 years of the progressive administrations earlier under Kim Dae-jung and Noam Yuhan. Uh, you know, and we uh, you know, had the Kaesong uh, industrial complex experiment, you know, but that did not moderate North Korea's quest for both plutonium and uranium-based nuclear weapons, continuing the missile programs, uh, and indeed, you know, continuing threats against South Korea and, and the U.S. So, you know, now it, it's a question of uh, or the, the advocacy for, can't we just make North Korea feel less threatened? Well, let's look at who has been doing the threatening, the attacking, the killing uh, of the other side since 1953. The onus is clearly on North Korea. So it should be South Korea and the U.S. Uh, seeking measures by North Korea that it will stop its hostile policy towards us, not, not vice versa. Can we ever expect... South Korea and the U.S., especially a liberal administration here, to, to, to be completely eye to eye when, you know, here there's this emotional connection which is not only possible in Washington. You're right. Well, the, you know, there's always going to be differences of view between any two allies, and, and it can ebb and flow over time depending on who the presidents are as well as what the, the world situation is. Um, and President Trump, in a way, has been you know, vacillating between being tough and, and being softer. So in Singapore, he, you know, unilaterally uh, canceled military exercises, not only the one exercise, but now it's going on to five or six exercises, and it looks like that will continue. He got nothing in return for that. Uh, he agreed to a uh, very poorly written declaration, which didn't clearly delineate what North Korea had to do. And then there's what I would call the beautification of Kim Jong-un, someone who's a purveyor of crimes against humanity. And now Trump says he's in love with him and that uh, he's a smart cookie. He loves his people despite all these human rights atrocities. Uh, so Trump is also going down that path. But then other times he'll talk about uh, you know, wanting to maintain sanctions, maintaining pressure, um, although certainly under President Trump recently, the U.S. has been pulling its punches on sanctions, and yep. even he even announced that you know there are many North Korean entities we're not sanctioning. I mean, the thing about President Trump, he's got no problem flip-flopping, does he? And the world seems to have come to accept it, and he doesn't get too harmed by it. He has the power behind him to be able to do so. Going forward, does part of this, you know, whether you're conservative on the issue or liberal on the issue, depend on whether you believe? Chairman Kim Jong-un is ever going to truly open up that Yongbyon complex and ever truly give up those weapons. Right, and, and we've been debating that for 25 years and during the eight previous diplomatic uh, agreements uh, to try to get North Korea to first never build nuclear weapons, and once they violated those four agreements, the, the four agreements they promised to give up the weapons they promised never to build, you know, that's not to say we can't try it another time, because... You know, we can argue whether he will or won't, but what we need to do is really have a, an action-based uh, process where we clearly delineate what everyone's requirements are, as we did in the arms control treaties, uh, and then we have you know measurable process. You can't just do these 
you know, very vague summit declarations where each side can claim its own interpretation of what denuclearization means and even what the Korean Peninsula means. We're hearing that uh, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, has told a a radio interview that uh, he will be hoping to meet with a North Korean counterpart next week for denuclearization talks and to also discuss that Trump-Kim summit uh, and about letting inspectors look at the nuclear missile sites. The, the very fact that this meeting was supposed to take place in October and it didn't, though, suggests that we shouldn't necessarily feel too optimistic at this point? Well, I, I think perhaps even more telling is the fact that uh, Kim Jong-un agreed that there would be working-level meetings, and Special Envoy Steve Began is still waiting for a reply to his invitation for a meeting at his level. Um, so again, I, I think rather than rushing into a summit where, you know, especially under Trump, things may be agreed to that uh, are not well thought out or well planned. You know, we need to have what what could be you know, lengthy, arduous negotiations at the working level where you uh, really need to hammer out the details. Because you know, we're, what, five months after the Singapore summit, we don't even have an agreed-upon definition of what denuclearization means. We we think it's the uh, abandonment of North Korea by its of its programs as, as it's required to do under the UN resolutions. North Korea says it's global arms control and they'll go to zero when the US and other nuclear powers go to zero. Yeah, and, and the removal of that word complete from the um, from the acronyms that have been describing the nature of denuclearization also seems to suggest the problems that lie ahead in negotiations. Bruce Klingner, Senior Research Fellow for Northeast Asia at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me.